which I think brings me to retention. Yes, it does. Well done. I segued nicely. Um, so I think with retention, the two biggest things that we have to ask is what is keeping us in the sport? Like why are we staying in the sport after this time? Because, you know, coach sucks sometimes. And why are people leaving? And so then we're trying to emphasize the parts of the, of the sport and make more things that we really love about it and try and mitigate or eliminate the things that are causing people to leave. So like, I often think like I, I had this like moment of like, I'm not sure if it's a crisis or not, but I was thinking that like, had this like moment of like realization a couple of years back when I was in Victoria Park and I had this in, in the UK as well, where it's cold, it's rainy, it's utterly miserable. And yet there are still people out in the park running around on broomsticks. Like how do we convince people to take time out of their day to go and run around in a park on broomsticks, making fools of themselves in the rain, in the wet, in the cold? Like what is motivating that person to be there at that moment? And how do we expand that to more people, that feeling to more people um, to start off with, I guess? Just as basic brainstorm friends and a lot of people say oh if this was if it was one it was if it wasn't for you i wouldn't be here anymore like, mm -hmm. like people actually say that so it's so they'll prioritize if the connection is strong enough if not they'll move on to something else other things that keep us in the sport like why are we all here today for example like why do we care so much about Quidditch that we take any time we can out of our lives we've driven up from Canberra or Newcastle or wherever or Campbelltown or wherever to turn up and do this I think personal goals personal goals both on and off pitch for me because on pitch I don't care that much anymore Mm -hmm. Honestly, <laughs> honestly, I don't know if I'll play this season just because I know there's plenty of people who can do great for my team and also because I don't want the pain anymore. <laughs> yeah. no, I completely agree. I think, I think like striving to be competitive, striving to get better, striving to do better as a player is like a big part of, especially like, you know, in 2018, I was, you know, we had trainings, I used to starting at like one or two in the afternoon, but I was running seven hour experiments. So to get to training, I was starting experiments at six o'clock in, in the morning to try and make training. It's like, why am I making, why, why am I putting this much effort into doing this? And the reason was I want to win Quaffle. I want to make myself the best player possible so that when it comes to the Quaffle finals, I can do the best I can possibly do to try and win that final. And I also was like, you know, I'm the captain of this team. I have to show that I am turning up the stuff and lead by example so that other people will ideally follow in my steps as well and also do those things. And so mine is entirely off pitch because I like when things work and I get, I, I get annoyed and I need to fix things when they don't. So... Yeah. To make a change? Yeah, the ability to make a change because, yeah, I joined the board because I was annoyed at how it wasn't working. I wanted to try and make it a little bit better, even mm -hmm. if it was the best to start off with. 
Um, and most sports don't offer that much opportunity, mostly because they're more established and there are less issues. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Different issues. I think you raised a good one in what you had said, though, was that it was the responsibility that got you to go at different times. So once you go into one of those positions, you feel responsible for the team or for that. Yeah, I think there's a big thing to be said for obligation. Even not just as a as a leadership position, but as a player, you feel obligation to have training because you're part of a team, and you feel obligated to put effort into, especially if a team like you said, where you have a, a tiered team system. And it's competitive. Like, like if you want to make unspeakables, you have to put the effort into make unspeakables. And if you're on the team as unspeakables, you have the obligation of, you know, you have to put the effort in to stay on the team and stay at that level. I think, yeah. Yeah, definitely obligation because sometimes you feel that. Uh, in my example, it's like if if I stopped, if I left the Weasleys, like no one else would bother doing anything. Like there wouldn't be a team anymore. Like that's like maybe three years ago, that wouldn't have been true, but it feels like it's true now. So for me, it's a bit of obligation. I'm like, well, I don't really want to play anymore because I'm getting old and getting injured and stuff. But and so, if I walk away now. It's like, let me extend the question then. So you want to keep doing stuff for the Weasleys so it keeps the Weasleys alive. Why do you want to keep the Weasleys alive? What, 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 what is the thing that's keeping you to drive? What's that's driving you to keep that club going? I think for me, because it's I've spent so long on it, you, you don't want it just to disappear. Well, yeah, it's like <laughs> it's a complicated, complicated relationship. I I mean, I love it, and that's why I'm still here. But I also feel like I'm sacrificing a lot of other aspects of my life, which I should be concentrating more on, like family and friends and relationships. Like, yeah, like jobs, like career, like like. My, I used to be career oriented, and now I'm not. I'm like, oh no, I just do, I just do any random work, and then and because I know that quidditch makes me quite happy, like you know, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> no, there, I completely agree. There's definitely a sense of like, I've put so much time into this already. I'm not giving up on it now, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's it. It's, yeah, it's not just the sunken cost fallacy. Mm-hmm. It is also you kind of love it, like you hate it. <laughs> I mean, there's ups and downs. Yeah, for sure. And and not everything is always in your control. And and sometimes uh, the environment can make it, things complicated. People and that. Yeah. <laughs> most yeah, most people are lovely. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Fire. But I guess you really have to look more at the player level, like because that's the majority of you know who makes up the mm-hmm. teams and. Um, if I can call on you, Alison, like, why are you here? Like, what's what's motivated you to come and run this video for? Because I'm crazy. <laughs> yes. Um, look, I just, I love what Quidditch is about and what I've seen. And I've, been, I've seen it at local club level, at tournament, you know, fantasy level, World Cup level, state level national level um, and I've seen the growth and development not only with my own son but with lots of people around and particularly the friendships and the and the social connection 
and the support at times when, you know, relationships are broken up or mental health, you know. Um, and, and so, yeah, I feel that I have some skills <laughs> and some experience that can actually contribute to making Quidditch better um, and whether that's through this strategic planning process and writing stuff up because I do a lot of writing in my professional life and have in my past um, or, you know, getting Quidditch recognised as a sport I think is a really important strategic move and that's why with my experience, I'm, you know, I've approached um, Nora about supporting the... Um, the constitution mm -hmm. review and the application for the um, for Sport Australia. So, for me, it's about it's just I think that that Quidditch Australia, and I've said this to other people, needs to look outside the players um, and bring in expertise and seek expertise from another set of people who are not necessarily players and I think that there are some people, maybe not a whole host of people, but there are some people out there, whether it's people's parents or friends or, um, or companies that do pro bono work, um, I think that, you know, we need to be looking outside the player base. Long answer. I really liked what you said about the the whole idea of, you know, you think Quidditch is worth it. You've seen how great Quidditch is and you want to see Quidditch expand and get better because of that. Like I think having been to a whole bunch of used Quidditch AGMs when people are running for exec, the most common reason you hear for why they're running for exec is I really enjoyed my experience of Quidditch and now I want to help other people have a good experience of Quidditch as well. Yeah. Um, Sorry. Yeah, more on the player side. So if you want to finish your thought or if you had anything. No, go for it, go for it. I think a lot, especially of young players who join, want to feel like they're a part of something because they're somewhere entirely new, uni, and they don't know what to do. And instead I tell them, okay, training is this day, this day, this day. Then we have a tournament this day and then we start preparation for that tournament and they feel like we are all together and we're a part of something. They know what to do. This, this does become like, like marketing and recruitment is very much like a sort of like advertising marketing type of thing, type of question. Whereas I think retention becomes very much more about psychology and how you motivate people and how you, how you bring people together in a group and make them cohesive in a group, right? Because, um, so, so for example, my girlfriend runs a church youth group and Kim from UCID is a big part of Scouts. So I hear both about all of the kinds of activities that both of those kind of groups do. And they're both very different organizations. They both do very, very similar things in many, many ways. Um, and in some ways, Quidditch is also doing a very, very, very similar thing. It's providing a community. Like that's like we play a sport, but the real why of Quidditch, the real core of Quidditch's brand is the community, is the friends you make. Um, and that's the most powerful aspect of Quidditch that you have to really 
work on developing, I think, in our branding, but also in our um, in developing the culture of a club as well. Like, I think that there's a lot of pushing in Quidditch in general to like make Quidditch seem more legitimate as a sport and really portray like high level like action shots and like cool like graphics of like players doing cool things in um, media. But I think just as important or probably more important than that is displaying the smiling faces and displaying the friendships and the solidarity in the community that you also get in Quidditch because that's the more powerful emotional resonator, I think. Um, we can keep coming up with ideas if we want to as well with that. But then, so then the question is, why do people leave Quidditch? Like when we have such powerful attractions to Quidditch and when we all feel so strongly about staying in Quidditch, what's then pushing people out of the sport? Or why aren't people staying beyond the first couple of trainings? I have ideas on this. Oh, hey. Hey, I just got back two minutes ago. So yeah, we're just, we're just brainstorming what motivates us to stay in Quidditch, what motivates us to, to still be a part of Quidditch, and then also why do people leave Quidditch? If you wanted to um, speak. Um, has anybody heard of Herzberg's two-factor theorem? No, don't think so. Okay, I will send a Wikipedia link. But also tell us. Um, it's like a motivational psychology thing, and the idea is... Um, everything's divided up into two factors, one, uh, two classes of factors. One of them are motivators, which you've already talked about, and the other one is termed hygiene factors. And these are the things that um, don't actively motivate people or don't actively make things better or in more, in more of an incentive. They're just like, if you don't do these things, they become factors that drive people away, which is why do people leave Quidditch mm -hmm. and I've I I was taught this at university in engineering of all places um, and I found no use for it there but I've started finding use for it in Quidditch um, so that's why I'm rereading it at the moment and I thought I'd share the idea with with others to see if they can reflect on it um, but like one example that I use as a hygiene factor is uh, fair matchups for players because like imagine you're a newbie and you're about to play your first ever game. Like the whole Quidditch thing seems fun um, and but playing a competitive sport is like a brand new experience for you. And there's a lot of people out there in the Quidditch community that that is a very good representation of. Would getting the full Luke Derrick experience make you more or less inclined to keep playing? It's, it's like, it's a funny example, but it's a serious example as well. Yeah, no, you're right. LDX. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I should go on that meme. Sorry, can you grab a microphone and say that again? Um, it's Alison here. What happens to those people who've been through the elite level and are no longer playing? 
anymore. And there's a number of them across Australia. You're also right. Um, I have other thoughts on that, but they don't fit in with my with the motivator hygiene thing. <laughs> That's all right. I thought it did, but anyway. <laughs> um, no, it's it's a good question to ask. Like it's it's perfectly valid. Yeah. Is that how you? Is that how you? Yeah. Um, I was almost leaving Quidditch because of bad eggs. Because of bad bad eggs. eggs. And like, it's really difficult, I find, and the community is really ineffective in getting rid of bad eggs. What are the kind of, um, like, behaviors that need to be more effectively policed? Or like, what, what, what are the things that bad eggs are doing that are driving people out? Well, yeah, I feel like Quidditch is run by a lot of people who don't necessarily have the experience to do it. And uh, it's a lot of people who haven't had that power before. They get super excited and just get carried away with themselves. And when, and that's fine until like conflict comes up that they have to resolve and all the rest. Um, And there's not always a support systems in place to teach them how to do it as well. Um, I think also bad sports in Quidditch because like whilst every sport has bad sports you can't really get away from them because they're usually like the high profile competitive people who are praised for their skill rather than looked down upon and experiencing that bad thing the first time in in that often it's being refed by people that maybe didn't want to be refing maybe didn't know how to ref but had to because there's no one else and so all of this stuff is happening on pitch that shouldn't be and it's not getting called so they can't see a way to keep playing if that's going to keep happening. I think also people have had bad experience as, as being a referee and I'm, I'm not sure if... Like, yeah, yeah. And people get, yeah, like referees, they do get abused by players. And I don't know how, I, I'm not sure how many people have sort of left the sport because of that sort of thing. I, I guess it, yeah, definitely falls under bad eggs, but yeah. I think um, my issue was just immaturity. And no, it's under bad eggs. Uh, definitely under bad eggs. I definitely wanted to be there and like, yeah, and toxic masculinity. Let's put that there. I think also in my experience, um, it's no secret that I left Wollongong to join UTS. Um, the situation with Wollongong is a lot of those players are very um, much like a lot of the community uh, are very like introverted and then the the people in power in that team are extroverted to all of those introverted people just follow along with what those extroverts say even even if they don't necessarily agree and I think sometimes that that becomes an issue when someone else has a different opinion then like the team sort of implodes in a way yeah um, it's, it's easier to follow an extroverted leader if you're an introverted person, even if you don't necessarily agree with them because of the, yeah. the mm-hmm. energy you yeah. need to expend to mm-hmm. oppose it. Yeah. 
probably at the top of the list though is just time. People just move on. Um, and that's whether they've graduated and they've got full-time work. Um, as a community team, we, we sort of, um, a lot of our recruits are really young people, like sometimes between 14 and 16 years old. And then by the time they get to their HSC or to uni, they no longer have any time for it, which is a bit upsetting because they're the kind of people who are most enthusiastic about it to begin with. And you sort of think, oh, these guys are in for life. But then they just completely drop off. Uh, some ways it's, it can be like I guess it's sad as well because in some ways when you're in those high pressure situations like HSC, having a release like which can be really valuable. But, uh, AJ, we also need to sort of wrap things up eventually. Soon. This is like the last thing. Yeah, cool. Just Alison. Okay. And even in community teams, like, uh, you know, a couple of the, the players are parents and then, and they, you know, end up stop, stopping playing because they've just, it's just, you know, having kids is too much of a time sink, obviously. Um, and then, yeah, the older people get more injuries, don't want to get injured. Um, Sometimes people can't do the, the full tournament on a weekend. Like they could probably do it if they had a game and then could go or something like that. But for community teams, they can't do a day. Yeah. Um, outside of elite competition level, sometimes even the personal development as a player just is lacking. Like... Not every team has a coach that can support the development of all players. And then you can go and join a team that can support the developer of you, the development of you as a player, but it's one hour away. You're like, okay. And also all of these issues, I'm not sure if people ever talk about them. Like, so they'll just leave without really saying anything. So we don't know. The exact course. Yes, definitely. Yeah, we don't have any like sort of support processes in place as an organisation for that, trying to avoid that situation. Yeah, sometimes in it, all the things you do to keep it is kind of like having those community events and doing like games days and going out and all that sort of stuff. And if like the organiser gets too busy and tired, those things stop happening and the community starts to kind of drift apart as well. I think, yes, I think burnout is another one that I've seen over the years, especially it, like going so hard with like loads of recruitment and events and so driving community really, really hard at use in 2018. By 2018, everyone's exhausted. Like everyone's like overdoing things all the time, constantly. Um, so there's definitely a balance to be made with you want to have that community. We always want to have people still um, like not exhausted at the end of it you expect it to kind of run itself but it's not possible <laughs> I also find just personally like there might be times that I'm down at my lowest and I'm sort of ready to quit or whatever but then World Cup comes up and then everyone gets excited about that so there's always this sort of <laughs> so World Cup is important for more reasons than the obvious, I think, yeah. 
Um, Ingram's made the, the, the interesting point um, from, from Nick Rodol, um, the observation that the typical creative career is around four years long. And there are a couple of exceptions where people stick around forever or longer. Um, but most people have a career that sort of spans four years. Um, and Nick's summary on this was that it takes about four years to reach their career aspirations, as it were, like being a board member, playing on the drop bears, winning a coffle or whatever. Um, and then once you've achieved your goals, what do you do after that? Joining boards and things always. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again. Leave. This um, is, oh. Clara said. Um, um, who are you questioning, sorry? I just, after AJ spoke, somebody made a comment and I couldn't hear it. Yeah, clear. That was... Unfortunately, it's not joined again. Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunately that people that are retiring from this board aren't going on to promote this board and increase the board participation. Not all of yeah, them. I'm still here, but also, like, be very ready that I'm at my four-year mark and I'm, like, done <laughs> with you guys. <laughs> Sorry. No. I see the point that there is no... There is no farther goal. It becomes very tiring to be always, there's very little change and it's very tiring to remain in one community. Like I've met AJ, probably my first tournament. I'm still here talking to AJ and it's been four years. And after that, I don't think it becomes interesting anymore. It, it's fair enough. I'm not toxic. Yeah. It needs to be I also think that's just like the nature of Quidditch at the moment. It's like for so many, like when was the last time we had a full board? Like I don't, I don't know the, the details. Before this year, goodness. Yeah. Um, at least four like, years ago. Yeah. Possibly so, five. Like for the last four or five years, we've had an understaffed board who have just basically been um, working to put out spot fires and, oh, crap, state shields in six months, we need to organise that. Or oh, quaffles in three months we need to make sure that um teams players eligible you know we've got we've got like a place to play and like all this stuff is sort of on the fly whereas this stuff that we're doing this weekend with the strategic forum and putting in goals and the stuff that jamie's doing with our internal goals for the qa board and restructuring and making sure that we have set outlines of what our roles are and how we communicate and and moving forward and actually creating um creating that structure, we might actually start to see some changes over the next five years as opposed to the last five years, which has literally just been like, let's just play Quidditch and work it out as we go. It's, it's sort of we're developing a little bit more and retention in terms of the board, the committees, and that might actually increase now that we're seeing changes and we're seeing um, some kind of end result of the work that people are putting in because up until this point, what is that? Like, what is all the work that we've been putting in for the last five years? It's not much has changed. That's from, like, an outsider looking in, essentially, because I've only been here for two years. Um, so I think then, like, the way to wrap up with those ideas is then having discussed what motivates us, what keeps us here, what keeps us going versus what pushes people out, the question then becomes as we look towards a strategic plan, what things can QA do, what things can states do, what things can clubs do, what things can individuals do 
to one promote all those things that are good about the sport that keep us going that we really love about it and how do we make systematic changes at all those different levels to um to minimize or eliminate the problems that are pushing people out of the sport so ideas have been suggested before that i just put down here off the top of my head to make the formatting work but things like having a divisional coffle for example can have like i think having divisions in qsw and now in vic cup had a big influence on um fair yeah fair matchups and that sort of thing which is a big systemic problem in creation we have such a big disparity in teams um well, I think the aim was to make fair matchups, but then it affects other teams. So like for ANU, for example, and like, um, I, I know there's the issue of distance there, but yeah, creating the two divisions in uh, QNSW, basically it kind of killed ANU. And, and the year before that, like Macquarie didn't win a single game. They were at the bottom of division one. And I think they, that affected them as well. So I, I and Newcastle, yeah, Newcastle got affected as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, I, <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know. I think, yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think that, like, one potential solution that you have for that then, if you're QSW, is you go, okay, we give teams more leeway in what division they can choose to be in. Yeah. Like, I think A and Macquarie were wanting to be in the lower division, but... Also, yeah, we didn't have an opportunity to move. Like, because we ended the 2018 season really high up, we were on top of the board, but that was because we had the players and then they all left. And so we were a completely different team. And so, but QNSW were like, no, nope, that's fine. You can be in Div 1. And then like halfway into the season in the like mid-winter mud bash break, and you email QNSW and was like, hey, can we move down to Div 2? Like, we're losing players because we can't win a game and we're just getting thrashed by serpents all the time. And they're like, nah, sorry. And so there needs to be flexibility in the divisions and actually have a look at the teams that exist right now rather than look at scores from previous years because that, that doesn't reflect because teams move around so much. And I think, to be fair, like, on, on all just like QSW and Vic Cup and so on, like we're new divisions in creation has a complicated system to try and manage and like one, making it fair two making it somewhat legitimate and so on. Um, I think a big complaint about the divisional system last year, for example, is that especially in QNSW, it's very, very, very separate between vision one, vision two. I had no idea. I'd never watched it. I didn't watch a single Macquarie game the entire year, basically after the first NQL, which is really sad. I like Macquarie. I like lots of players in Macquarie. And the fact that I never get to see them play is kind of sad. And um, the fact that Newcastle and ANU get pitted against Serpents, Unspeakables, Nightmares, Valkyries constantly is very, very hard on those teams as well, especially when there's no opportunities for interdivisional play. So QSW implementing more of that, for example, is a good systematic change that can at least give those teams more opportunities to play fair matches even if they are ranked matches. I don't, I'm not sure they're going to do that though. Um, and I think, and, and I think it might be better just to go back to how we were just Wollongong will play serpents a couple of times a year, but they'll also play a handful of games that they could actually win. And I think that sort of puts everyone, just everyone on equal footing basically. Um, 
I mean, the bottom team, Wollongong going to lose, or, you know, whoever's on the bottom is, you know, theoretically going to lose most or all of the games anyway. So, but if you've got two divisions, then that's putting two teams in that position. And I know that winning isn't everything. And even when the Weasleys first started, we were losing everything, but we were still having a lot of fun. But I don't know. I think it might be, I'm not sure the division system works the way how inflexible it is. I had a thought on this a couple of years ago when the VQA put in divisions. Instead of two divisions, you kind of almost have three where there's a middle group of teams that fit in both. Yeah, Q&A so like, are doing, uh, thinking about the same thing, exactly. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but I, doing- I couldn't make the maths work. Um, that might be just a limitation of my intelligence there. So hopefully there is a good solution. But yeah, I looked at it long and hard and I couldn't make the maths work. I think they've figured it out. If we get 15 teams, we can do three divisions of five. But I think Hosford also said that it's possible to do it with any number of teams. Um, I wasn't actually thinking like that. I was thinking, uh, let's say ANU, right, as an example, bottom of the top division, but probably top of the bottom division, if that makes sense. You could literally put them in both divisions. So ANU would play both Serpents and Wollongong. But Wollongong being in the bottom of the bottom division would never play Serpents, who are the top of the top division. So what UNSW is trying to do is having a third division that plays one round robin against the other people in the middle division, one round robin against the bottom half of the top, and gotcha. one round yep. robin That's exactly what I was hoping. of the bottom. But it, it becomes a problem depending on the number of teams. I don't know how discussions have evolved. We're still few teams per division, so it becomes eventually kind of boring for the top division to play their division twice and once the top uh, and the bottom two teams of the top division play once the middle division. So it becomes confusing and still kind of boring. So in a way, I'm sort of opposed to divisions again, as our fears, but also I am so not a gameplay person. So I ultimately pass the word to Kelsey. Um, so I'll give you a soccer example. A few years ago, the women's league, um, in the Illawarra, we all just played in the one, in, in the one pool, everyone played each other once. And then we were sorted into division halfway through the season. And then you play the rest of the season out with, with teams that are of your rough level based on results in the previous, um, half of the season. And that, in some ways took took away the problem that ANU had this year, uh, sorry, last year, where their entire team changed. Yeah, they were top the year before, but obviously all of their players changed and they were no longer at that level. So if we'd done that last year, then we had would have sorted ANU into Division 2 rather than having them sit in Division 1 and just die out and eventually just all become UTS players. There's like, that sounds great, except that there's 14 teams. So it's going to take you four months to get through that first round, Robin. But that might, that might be an option in this three division idea. You know, you know that Serpents and Nightmares and Valkyries um, and Unspeakables are, are quite high up. And you know that Wollongong and, um, you know, Hills and 
whoever else is like bottom tier, those middle play, those middle teams, maybe they do the playoff with them and then they get sorted sort of thing. I don't know how it would work, but it's it's something to sort of have a think about maybe. I think to keep the conversation moving from the from the gameplay stuff, like the unfair matchups are one aspect, right? But there are all these other things that we can also be working on, for example, at the national level, at the state level, the club level. I think at all three of those levels, we need much, much better policies around policing player attitude and player behaviours and dealing with complaints and that sort of thing, right? Because as we said before, the people who usually provide bad experiences are also the people with high skills because they can be bad sports. But the problem is implicitly a lot of the QA, a lot of the Quidditch people don't want to get rid of those because they are the high profile players. And it's like an impossible situation that drives away new people, but I don't know how to solve this. And also, once again, it is difficult to turn away a player when to tell a player to go away when we're hovering towards people on the edge of survival, like teams on the edge of survival that they have only a limited number. Like having a code of conduct and, and talking to people about how they treat other people and sending them away, like probably having something to deal with the situation and not kick them out of the team would be mm. ideal. <laughs> yeah. But I guess teach the problematic people how to be less problematic instead of ostracizing them. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely had to work. I'm sure all teams have had to work on that uh, in their own way, but because we all face it, maybe we could have some more communal resources and some backup on what to do when that's becoming a problem. Or external help. External help, I think, is the way because it becomes such a complicated, convoluted, conflict of interest discussion. So, from going on to six different teams and causing exactly the same problem would be good. (laughs) Isn't it, AJ? And then, just as similarly, the the whole improving retention isn't just about cutting out the things that are problematic. It's about make it's about building and emphasizing what's best about the community as well. Like I know that like in last year? No, year before last, for example, you should try to do quid cruise as a as a state level event. Like right? the entire community can come together as like a just a really fun evening for, for everyone in the community ideally. Um, that's totally outside and separate from Quidditch. Nothing to do with Quidditch. It's just fun celebration um, and I think more opportunities to um, build community at the state level at the national level at the club level um, are all really positive ways to build retention as well I guess also have some sort of exit survey where like, cause a lot of people just completely drop off the radar and there's some very, very high profile people as well. So maybe, you know, we can try reach out to these people and say, Oh, can you fill out this survey? Why, why did you leave? Is there anything we could have done to keep you like what, how could we improve Quidditch? 
even surveys after big tournaments and big events and stuff like that, more chance to give feedback in general. We tried yeah. that, but no one fills them out. Well, we do that for Quaffle. Did we got we got ninety? Did you get ninety people? I think we get hundred by the end. Yeah. I think it was about hundred as well. About 100? We had more people. But how many so percentage? percentage? Yeah. Uh, yeah, three hundred and fifty or something. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Um, I know Ashley wanted that somehow, but better members management systems can tell lots of story even with even if people don't feel surveys. So if we see that every year 50% of new female players don't register again and instead 10% of new male players don't register again that tells us a story even if we don't have the surveys for them yeah we should definitely look at stats I don't know how much we look at those sorts of stats we don't have those kind of stats for the most part um, well just based on solely on membership at least like I know you can't like, we, like this is the first year I think if I'm pretty much wrong I think this is the first year we've taken gender data into right. membership. Like normally we just, we just don't ask you what the gender is. So we yeah. could go back and guess off memory slash what people's names are. But mm. I mean, the we're, we're, we've got all of the membership lists and we take attendance for our tournaments. There, there would be some way of collecting and, and analyzing that data. It's just about manpower and getting someone to actually... Yeah. Set now a system to go forward. If we set now a system to go forward, it becomes a lot easier. And like the keeping track of have a try people that come along and do and don't register afterwards. And so, for instance, you would you would see um, this year a lot of people signed up that were in the age range twenty five to twenty seven, and then they all signed up again, or none of them signed up again, or whatever happens, I don't know. But there are systems that do this type of analysis. We just do Google Sheets, which is a terrible idea. We know any statistics? We can move the data afterwards. Like as long as we collect it and don't lose it, then we can <laughs> mass budget it around. <laughs> we have G Suite now, come on. <laughs> 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 um, are we happy to leave it at that? We have any other things we want to talk about, or um, AJ? I'd just like to put my hand up and say mm -hmm. I would help with a standing committee on exit surveys and data analysis over the year. That's part of standing committee of membership. Don't make small standing committees. Make broad standing committees and let people bring in what they want. So standing committee on membership. Should we have tiered memberships? Should we have membership management systems? Should we have membership statistics? Should we have 
membership. Sorry, I didn't come. I didn't want to come out as aggressive and rude, but no, <laughs> I'm so sorry. She's smiling. She is smiling. Well, I think if people want to stand up and help with a particular task, we have to encourage that. Hundred percent. Yeah. Boxes so that then you don't have a sending committee that dies and then needs to be started again. You have a box in which anyone with a new idea can jump in without, to for, without needing to form a new standing committee. It's just a box for people to do things. And like-minded people who like talking about membership to connect with. 